The following recording was recorded on the 15th of October, 2017. It was part of the Canterbury Gardens Community Church Young Adults Hangout. It was a particular session focused on the topic of the gospel and mental health. We had guest speaker Dr. Grant Bickerton, who spoke from a Christian psychologist's point of view on the issue of mental health. It included a panel followed by a gospel message by one of the pastors at Canterbury Gardens Community Church. We hope this recording may be of benefit and blessing to you. God bless. For more info, please visit www.cdcc.org.au. So, um, uh, in relation to, to psychology, um, I studied psychology up in Sydney, uh, did my undergraduate, then my honours, and then my master's in counselling psychology. Uh, after um, that, then I started to work uh, in the, firstly, the alcohol and other drug and gambling field, then uh, some time in a psychiatric hospital, apparently with post-traumatic stress disorder as well as other psychiatric conditions, and then in a private practice of Christian psychologists. But for me, it was ever since a, um, a, couple, uh, a couple of year period of doing some ministry with a university Christian group called, it was then back then Student Life, now it's called Power to Change, it's a broader organisation. Uh, ever since that time, I wanted to be involved in helping fulfil the Great Commission in some way. And so after that period of work, um, my wife became my wife and we jumped and uh, started to work with Power to Change up in Sydney, primarily up in Sydney, kept on going overseas a little bit now and again uh, and basically just did evangelism and discipling on university campuses up there. But for me it was actually during that time where just looking around I saw many of um, colleagues and friends in ministry overseas mission, um, local ministers, parachurch organisations, to be honest, just not doing very well psychologically or spiritually. And then when people would leave, they would tend to leave very badly. And uh, that, that really affected me. And so with my organisation's blessing, I, um, I started to do my PhD research back in psychology on a, on a university campus up in Sydney, looking specifically at the issues of what are the organisational psychological and spiritual factors, how do those three things work together to promote well-being in ministry? How do you keep on doing well um, as opposed to what drives the negative as well as what promotes the positive? So all that to say, during that time, then my organisation asked if we'd move down to Melbourne, which is where the headquarters is. So now my role with Power to Change is really around well-being and development of our missionaries. I do do some um, uh, therapy on the side and some psychological assessments with particularly Christian workers. Um, (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) And also, uh, I have three kids now. (laughs) So now we need to know, are you a Sydney man or are you a Melbourne man? You know, I have really found, I've really, I I know exactly what the right answer to that question (laughs) is. And contextually, the answer has to be Melbourne. Please, yeah. Um, just so that you're aware of how this afternoon is going to work, we're planning to hear from, from Grant, and then following Grant, we're actually going to have a panel of people um, who are available to answer any questions. And the idea is that they hear questions. So as Grant's 
speaking. Um, have your phones out, have your pens out, have your brain switched on. Um, if there's particular things that you would like um, addressed or just raise a bit of a, oh, what about that in your own mind? Um, this is your opportunity. We've got some great people who are available and willing to share. So um, just to put that on your radar as well. We pray and then listen to French. And also at the end, we're going to follow it up with Shibuki. So we're going to share some light on how the gospel is all of this too. So the packed session is going to be great. Let me pray for you, French. Father God, um, thank you for your sermon, Grant. Thank you for his willingness to be here. I pray that you would speak through him, and I pray that our ears would be receptive and our hearts would be open to what you have to say. In your wonderful name, Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for um, coming along, and thank you for inviting me, um, guys. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, so as you can see, I, like, I am a believer in Jesus and have been so for a while. And I really believe in um, uh, helping people to be able to make an informed decision about um, Jesus as well as grow in him. As you can also tell, I'm a psychologist as well. And primarily what I'm going to be speaking of at the beginning is really from that kind of psychological perspective. Um, that's kind of what I'm going to do first. Because according to actually the Australian Bureau of Statistics data, 46% of all Australians aged between 18 and 85 will experience one of the commonly occurring mental health disorders across their lifespan. 46% of us um, experience that kind of thing. Every year across a 12-month period, one in five adults, Australian adults, experience one of the commonly occurring mental health conditions. Uh, mental health issues are really, really common in our society today. Um, and you might want to ask about that, <laughs> but, but it really is just a reality. Uh, and they don't discriminate. Um, they affect us all, actually. Uh, international, from different cultural backgrounds, different age groups, uh, different socioeconomic statuses, different genders. Uh, mental health conditions have, uh, affect us all. They also affect, actually, uh, people from all different religious perspectives. Christians experience mental health conditions. Um, and those mental health issues, they can affect numerous aspects of our lives. Uh, they can really affect our significant relationships. They can affect how we perform our occupational duties. They affect our social relationships. They affect our spiritual life. And they can also affect relationships we have with other believers in our Christian communities, which can also affect our spiritual lives. Um, so given those, the prevalence of mental health issues, together with how commonly they occur, uh, what I want to start with is just trying to give you a bit of a sense of, of what are mental health issues anyway? And how, do I, how can I actually think about them conceptually? Um, so that's what I might kick off doing. So uh, what are mental health issues? Well, really that term is a very, very broad catch-all category for a very wide range of, we might say, psychological disorders. But what I've done is I've tried to break them up into six kind of categories. But as you'll see, they're, they're kind of like, they're kind of buckets. They're not very precise. But the first category we might call mood disorders. That is, a, that is an official category. So as you can see up there, 
what mood disorders are, well basically they cover a really whole range of unwanted and usually sad feelings that kind of just won't go away. Mood disorders. Depressive disorders is usually characterised by two chief features. One, at a very low or depressed mood accompanied with a, a loss of pleasure or lack of interest in things that previously were pleasurable as well. Mood disorders. That's a, that's a depressive disorder. But sometimes those low moods can be accompanied by periods of very high moods. It might occur in what's called a bipolar mood disorder where the low moods have occasional periods of real euphoria, incredible optimism, incredible energy uh, that can then swing back as well. Unrealistic optimism and uh, euphoria as well. Depressive disorders are, are really highly prevalent in Australia. Um, they come in amongst females around the 5.1% and around the males about 3.1% across a 12-month period. So all up, that's kind of about 1 in 25 of us across the year um, fall into that kind of category of mood disorder in some description. But mood disorders actually aren't the most prevalent um, issue. That really comes into the category of anxiety disorders. Now, there's a number of different kinds of anxiety disorders. I've got four that's lifted up there. And the symptoms of anxiety disorders, they vary according to the particular type of anxiety disorder uh, that it is. But basically, anxiety and fear is around these two issues. They're not quite the same. Often fear is related to wanting to escape a situation, kind of like a phobia, where anxiety is much more about avoidance of something. So, but usually that's really a, a, key, a key issue to do with. The, the shared big feature of anxiety disorder is really some kind of um, uh, um, big excessive anxiety or avoidance of feared events or anticipated outcomes. And that really, and that has to be at a degree where it's actually impeding or affecting the ability of a person to live their life. Here's four common kinds of anxiety disorders. Number one is called generalised anxiety disorder. And that's kind of where it's sort of like um, there's like this free-floating anxiety that is always looking to attach itself to something. And it might not be really big things. It might be everyday kinds of things. But I just that free-flowing anxiety is looking for something to attach itself to. And, and that's sort of what it does. Everyday events that become exaggerated out to expectations of negative future events particularly generalised anxiety disorder. Social anxiety disorder, kind of like as it says, it's really about the fear of being in social situations where a person I think I might embarrass or I might offend or something very negative might happen and so I'll tend to start then avoiding social situations that then will become a detriment or limit then a person's lived experience. Social anxiety disorder. Panic disorder is related to the recurrence or the rapid or frequent recurrence of panic attacks. What are panic attacks? Panic attacks is a sudden, a sudden flood of anxiety that overwhelms and overcomes a person and it's usually accompanied by misattributions of the physiological symptoms that come with that. So anxiety, what's the cause of anxiety? What's what happens when I get anxious? Or my breathing will shallow. Oxygen will actually leave my brain out to more to my skeletal muscles so I don't think as, as clearly. I'm kind of wired to act. 
my heart will race faster, uh, adrenaline will be secreted, my liver won't work as well because it wants more sugars to be released. And what happens then is, is then actually when I'm, when I'm in that sudden flush of a state, I can notice these, these physiological symptoms like it feels like I, I think I'm, I'm having a heart attack. As my anxiety goes up, if I feel like I'm having a heart attack, what's that going to do to my anxiety? <gasps> it's just make it worse, which makes the physiological symptoms worse. It, it is. What's this pain I'm having? All the, it's a very distressing situation uh, when I'm having a panic attack. Uh, repeated of those in a certain time frame um, can be then diagnosed as a panic disorder, panic attack disorder. And then there's phobic disorders or phobias uh, which cover, um, it's kind of important, it's, it's irrational or over-the-top exaggerated fears of a particular stimuli or uh, availability of, of a stimuli. Snakes and spiders, you know, most of us are afraid of them, uh, but we might not come to contact with them as much necessarily. But phobias are really not just the fear, it's the exaggerated fear um, uh, that's out of proportion. In Australia, about one in eight people across a 12-month period fall into that category somewhere. One in eight, 12.8% um, is, the, is the serious uh, statistic. And most commonly is social anxiety disorder, but they're pretty much all around that 28 2.9, 3% category around that. Mood disorders is one kind of bucket. Anxiety disorders is the second kind of bucket. The third one kind of relates quite similarly or feels very similar to anxiety, but recently it's been kind of, it's got its own bucket. We'll call it trauma and stress-related disorders. Trauma and stress-related disorders. And as soon as you hear trauma, of course, um, you know, we've probably heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's a, that's a disorder um, uh, which a person can develop after a period of time following what's called a potentially traumatic event. Many people experience a potentially traumatic event. 50 to 70% of all people will experience one of those potentially traumatic events. Uh, those kinds of things are exposure to actual or threatened death, serious physical injury, sexual or emotional violence. It's a traumatic event. Now, some people... Um, that resolves over a period of time. If it doesn't resolve over a period of time, uh, a person can be diagnosed with what's called post-traumatic stress disorder. And the key symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder is the ongoing re-experiencing of the trauma. It, I keep re-experiencing it somehow. Uh, be it through nightmares, be it through uh, flashbacks, um, uh, all kinds of these, kind, these kinds of re-experiencing symptoms. That again is accompanied usually with, with a few other things, uh, things like um, avoidance of potential triggers. So I don't want to go where, near where anything that could actually trigger something like that. Um, often very low mood and very negative beliefs about the self, others and probably the, the world around. And the third one is increased psychological arousal or the stress condition. It's almost like your stress switch is switched on the whole time. It's always on. Um, that's post-traumatic stress disorder. In Australia, the 12-month prevalence of that um, is around 4%, 4.4%. About a million people in Australia today um, experience that kind of condition. Uh, another kind of thing in this, in this um, area I've written down there, obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, 
I like putting, hanging out my socks. The world is just much better when I hang them from the toes and the same socks are next to each other. That is just the way the world should be. But that is not post-traumatic stress disorder. That's not obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, although it's commonly you know, characterised like that. Let me tell you, it's not. Obsessive-compulsive disorder is where a person experiences very distressing, intrusive thoughts or ideas. They're the obsessions that are very distressing. And the way that the person has learnt to control those distressing thoughts or ideas is by some kind of ritualised behaviour or thought. So I have the thought, I then do the behaviour to reduce that anxiety. I've learnt that this works to reduce. Whether the person is a a checker, you know, I've locked the door, I've walked out from the car and I've got to check it now in the next 10 minutes in a certain way, otherwise I'm just never sure that it could get stolen. And if I might do it wrong, then I've got to start the whole 10 minute process again. And you can see how that then can quickly curtail my lived experience. So obsessive compulsive disorder, that's the two things. There's an obsession, there's some kind of ritualised behaviour that I then use to control the, the obsession, even though I know it's not true but it's so distressing and this works, so that, that's how it works. OCD in Australia is around the 2% mark, half a million. Um, oh, I've got their eating disorders as well. They probably shouldn't go in there. They're own category of their own, but I just put them up there because they feel like that kind of stress and distress characteristic. The two common ones you'll hear about is anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa, most commonly occurring um, amongst young women. Um, so that's kind of our third bucket. It's the stress and trauma bucket. This one now, we're starting to... This is a very different kind of bucket. Psychosis. As it says up there, psychosis is a word used to describe the experience of a distortion or loss of contact with reality. Sorry, psychotic or thought disorders. Um, uh, you could have delusions, hallucinations and or just confusing thoughts. The thoughts are all over the place. Put simply, this is the bottom line. The experience is that I just, at the moment, I just can't trust my sense experience. Um, Again, it's a very distressing experience. Schizophrenia is probably the most famous thing you hear about, psychosis. Technically, schizophrenia is a thought disorder which may or may not have a a co-occurring psychosis at the time. But that feels quite different to the other buckets. As does the next one, personality disorders. Now, all of our personalities are different. We all have preferences for thinking and behaving, ways of doing things. But a personality disorder is where those preferences, they go all the way down um, to the extreme. So much so that the person's preferred ways of thinking and behaving is really impeding their relationships and how they live their life. There's a number of different, it's called clusters of personality disorders. Uh, again, probably the most famous one there is, is called the uh, is cluster B or the uh, kind of, um, they're the more kind of erratic or dramatic uh, personality clusters. It involves antisocial personality disorder where a person really has no uh, anxiety about transgressing rules or norms or other people's boundaries. Uh, borderline personality disorder, uh, which is really about there's an intense emotionality and flicking of emotionality. A person's identity is very diffuse um, and there's high, high impulsivity, 
with borderline personality disorder. Histrionic personality disorder is characterized by just really dramatic and, and exaggerated emotional displays, uh, where narcissistic personality disorder is really um, a, a, about, it appears like a person has a very highly inflated self-esteem and a desperate desire to be appreciated and, and admired by others. Personality disorders are notoriously difficult to diagnose, um, and so they kind of come in around the one to five percent. But they're very difficult. It's kind of it's, it's a bit rubbery. That's um, a bit difficult. So here's our first five buckets, and the sixth bucket is really it tells you all about how precise this stuff is. Other, <coughs> because these things aren't neat uh, categories. They're kind of buckets. And so in the other category, um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff we could put in there as well. Uh, developmental disorders or delays um, could might end up in that kind of bucket, as well as other kind of uh, behavioural or uh, substance habitual behaviours, like substance abuse um, and those kinds of things. In the Australian context, the big one here has to be substance-related disorders and abuse. That is a huge issue, actually. If we looked at the pure, the pure definitions of substance abuse disorder, there would be a hefty proportion of Australia who would fit into that category in a 12-month period. But on the rise, and increasingly problematic, is uh, these habitual addictive behaviours such as gambling and pornography use, and the advent of the spreading infiltration throughout the media about gambling and cash out now and how easy it is, is really that's on the rise, as is the accessibility, affordability and anonymity of accessing internet or accessing pornography through means like the internet. Both those things are really on the rise and can impact greatly a person's overall life experience. So here's six kind of categories of when people talk about mental health issues, what are we talking about? That's kind of, from my perspective, what we're talking about. That kind of covers a lot of the issues. And the ones in bold are really the most kind of common um, that uh, people experience in Australia. Um, if you have any questions about these, yeah, definitely note them down um, for the panel that, that's coming. But I think it's really important to understand that Actually, all of those conditions, it's not like an, a disease, like a pathogen you catch. Um, mental health issues, um, it's, it's kind of not like that. It's mental, mental health issues is much more on a continuum uh, that we all kind of fluctuate. It's not a dichotomy that you, we have this or we don't have this. Because all of us fluctuate up and down on the mental health continuum naturally through life. We all experience um, situations and events in life that means we can fluctuate up and down. Sometimes our fluctuations are here, sometimes they are much more erratic for a period of time and sometimes, sometimes I can get stuck down in the deeper orange area. But we all fluctuate on the continuum. It's a continuum. It's not like a like a blood test that you can see the germ. It's not like that. That's important to understand. So we all experience fluctuations, but the problems can occur when the fluctuations get extreme or I get somewhat stuck in a, zone, in a red zone. 
And that's a time when I might need some help to kind of bounce out and get back into the normal fluctuations uh, that we all experience. And because we all fluctuate, that what that means is that I needn't be, nor should others in my Christian community feel embarrassed about needing help, that, I, that when I'm drifting on the continuum, I might need a bit of help to bounce out. Just like with my physical health, when, my, you know, when I'm feeling like I can't get my weight or eating or something under control, and I'm kind of getting a, I'll join a gym, I'll get into a boot camp, and I'll get some help to help me kind of bounce out. Um, and I think that it's very similar to mental health issues. We all fluctuate. We get stuck sometimes, and that's when it's appropriate to access the appropriate help. So there, here's the continuum. Now, on the continuum, really all of, those, all of those six areas, you could talk about a continuum. And on all of those six areas, the psychiatric or psychological community has somewhere on the continuum drawn a line in the sand and said, here's major depressive disorder. Here's not. So those definitions of disorder um, that the psychiatric and psychological community talk about, they are significant because what they do is they, they enable professionals to communicate together and it makes sense of what a person's experience is quite quickly. Oh, this person has generalised anxiety disorder. Oh, right, well, I kind of have a sense of what are the kinds of things they're, they're experiencing and how severe that is. But you need to hear that these, these labels are somewhat arbitrary. That doesn't mean because I might not... That doesn't mean, that, what that means is that because I might not make that line that my experience isn't significant. Maybe also that maybe I, I wouldn't benefit from getting some help. Maybe I would. In fact, it's probably better to get help earlier than later, as I'll say that in a moment. Um, does that make sense about the continuum and where the line the sand means? So let me actually give you the formal definition of what is major depressive disorder, just as an example, so you can sort of feel the kind of arbitrariness of the line of sand. But I don't mean to downplay that. For some of us, um, I find it, some of us, we find it very helpful when I actually eventually go to a doctor and the doctor says to me, Grant, you've got major depressive disorder. You've got depression. Sometimes that can be a great relief. Now I understand what's got, now that gives me a category for what I'm juggling with and I can attack it. Sometimes that's really helpful for some people. Others of us, we might find that very labelling. What does that mean? And so, so, so it's, not a, it's just not a simple, you can't simply say we all feel good about having a label or not. Uh, people have different experiences about that. But this is, this is the technical definition. So to have a definition of, of a major depressive disorder, you need to meet five of these nine things in an unbroken or most every day or most days over a two-week period for major depressive disorder. One of them has to be one or two, which is the depressed mood or the loss of interest in, in um, previously pleasurable activities. Um, so depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, is indicated by either subjective report or observation made by others. That's one. Two, mark diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. Number three, significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain, so we have about a 5% change, um, so decrease or increase across a month. 
Some people, we lose weight, others of us gain weight. Uh, number four, insomnia or hypersomnia uh, nearly every day. So either I can't sleep at all or I just cannot, I can't stop sleeping. Uh, psychomotor agitation, I just can't get up. Oh, sorry, uh, agitation, I can't sit still. Or retardation, I just can't move nearly every day. Fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. Feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, which may be a delusional nearly every day. Not merely self-reproach um, or good about being sick. It's, it's, it's much more heavy than that. Diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisive nearly every day, either by subjective account or observed by others. Recurrent thoughts of death, not just fear of dying. Recurrent suicidal ideation without a specific plan or suicidal attempt or, or a specific plan for committing suicide. So five of those and a person can receive a diagnosis of major depressive disorder. But what if you get four? Well, actually, that's called mild depression. <laughs> um, so, so there's actually, see the, the sense of severity, levels of severity here? So actually four is called mild, five meets official diagnosis, um, uh, eight and above is severe. So even within that diagnosis, you have some degrees within that. Uh, so there's different lines in the sand. And uh, just, I didn't say this at the front end, but I will say it now and I will say it again later on. If any of this stuff triggers some things for you in this room today, um, uh, please would you maybe talk to me or talk to Shabu uh, before you leave today. So you don't know, sometimes some of these sessions can trigger some stuff for us and, um, and we don't want you to, to leave um, without you know, making sure if it's triggered some stuff for me, that's sort of processed well before we close today. So there's the kind of there's an example of um, of the continuum somewhat. Depression really starts at being sad or blue and goes all the way down to a very debilitating experience. Are there many questions about this? Feel free to just jot, jot them down. Um, so what actually are some uh, uh, risk factors? Is probably a better way to put it for mental health issues. Causes that's a bit of a slipperier issue. So but we can talk about risk factors. Number one is family history and genetics. In my family, my dad experienced growing up um, anxiety issues and some uh, period of depression. And so I know for me, I'm 1.5 to three times more likely to experience um, uh, those kinds of issues myself. There is a genetic component uh, to this kind of stuff. But usually genetics is not the whole story in life. Usually there's also some kind of a psychosocial stressor in the environment at home or at work or something. So maybe I have a genetic predisposition, uh, but that might be dormant dormant my whole life. I might not ever get down into that area uh, until something happens that really triggers it. It might be a relationship breakdown. It might be family stress. It might be returning from overseas. It might be um, um, a work, a terrible work situation or a burnout experience that can trigger other things. All kinds of stuff, financial stress, uh, the birth of a new child. All kinds of things actually might, can, can trigger things. That's some kind of a stress event. Other risk factors are chronic medical conditions particularly where there seems to be a loss of future hope. So things like MS and that kind of stuff, often that can generate, uh, can be very wearing over time. Substance dependence, uh, that's, that's certainly a risk factor for mental health conditions. 
poor sleep, not enough, or poor quality sleep, that's a risk factor. Often you can see straight away, see how these things can actually build upon each other and interact together. Again, that's kind of what it's like. And then past trauma is also a risk factor for mental health issues, childhood abuse or a traumatic event in adulthood. So usually there's a number of those uh, present and they can interact, but sometimes not. But that's sort of the risk factors, official risk factors, I'd say. So what are some general tips? Well, I would say, number one, the biggest general tip is early detection and response is, is important, I'd say. The general rule is get help earlier because the further you go down the spectrum, I'll put it the other way, you know, as I'm in the, the, the lighter shades, there's more treatment options which have much greater efficacy. So I would probably say it's better to get some kind of help earlier than later. I'd definitely say that. So I think it's helpful to be mindful of each other's uh, and my own fluctuation on the continuum. Um, uh, don't ignore symptoms or assume that they necessarily uh, go away. And so I think it's helpful to speak honestly um, with, if I'm experiencing that, to speak honestly with someone. Um, or if I'm seeing that in a, in a friend or someone in our community, I, I just bring it up. You know, I've noticed that you kind of changed a little bit. I'm just wondering, is, there, is, everything, going, is everything going okay? Uh, are you okay? Is that, we had the are you okay day recently? Uh, that's important to, to ask those questions. And then I'd say access appropriate professional help. So I've written up there GPs, counsellors, social workers, psychologists, clinical psychologists, psychiatrists. <gasps> and you might be thinking, good grief, which one should I select? <laughs> um, and and, and well, all the bottom two lines, they've got a barrow to push, as do I, so I'm not going to go there. But in Australia, this is your first point of call. GPs is your first point of call and then GPs can refer you uh, to where they probably will think is, you'll gain the most help and you can um, Medicare offers rebates as well to help that situation. So that's probably your first point of call. Um, now that brings the issue of appropriate professional help. Oh, that feels like a loaded term. And yes, it is. Now let me kind of explain what I mean by that. Uh, so I, I really think biblically uh, that humans are unified beings. God has made us unified beings. Um, the Bible speaks, the New Testament specifically, speaks about us as body and flesh. And it can speak, and Paul can use that phrase or one of those words to refer to the whole person. The New Testament speaks about us being having cognition and a will and emotions. Uh, and again, the New Testament can speak about the person, that referring to the whole person. Set your minds on things above, where Christ has said, set your heart. So he's not talking about a bit of you, he's talking about you. <laughs> uh, and it can speak about us as soul and spirit, psyche and humour, particularly psyche. Again, uh, Paul can use that phrase to refer to the whole person. So what I'm trying to say is that God has made us unitary beings. However, I think that these kinds of distinctions can be helpful, not parts of a person, but almost lenses of which I might think about myself or perspectives or angles or viewpoints. And we might say in today, talk about the physical, the spiritual and the psychological. 
And, and I think that's a legitimate way to look at a person, but understanding that these aren't different bits. There's, there's going to be interaction. But I think sometimes it's helpful to look at a particular issue from a particular lens. So sometimes that's helpful. to If I'm experiencing a problem in life, I probably want to think, where does the primary issue land? And I need to seek appropriate help maybe from that lens, at least that lens. So, for example, let's say if, we, if, we, if you know, walking down to my car, <laughs> I trip over on the grass and I break my leg. Now, I'd hope that you would actually call... Now, really, um, I'd hope that you would call the ambulance... Uh, not my minister. Why is that? Because you might think that that issue la- lands pretty much up here, right? Is it? Is it a psychological issue? <laughs> well, maybe. Thank you for said not immediately. Maybe. Let's say I've been preparing for the Olympics, and the Olympics is coming up. And the last eight years of my life, I've been moving towards next month. And now I break my leg. <laughs> uh, there might be some fluctuations on my continuum. Uh, so that maybe, maybe that might generate, maybe that incidence, though it is clearly psych- physiological, maybe that might generate some psychological issues. Is it a spiritual issue? Well, maybe, maybe, not immediately. Oh, they went in doubt, see. <laughs> again, who knows, maybe. You know, maybe because of the Olympics issue, maybe I might be asking questions about why did my loving Heavenly Father allow this to happen. Maybe there might be some theodicy issues. So sometimes an issue might be lands clearly in one area. Sometimes there might be an overlap in more than one area. Sometimes there might be an overlap in three areas. What I'm trying to say is you need to access the appropriate help from the appropriate lens. It is inappropriate for my treating doctor to give me spiritual counsel, even if they're a Christian, because I I don't even know what that means. That is inappropriate for them to do that because that's not their lens of expertise. My minister, I need to probably not only get my legs set, I need to start engaging my minister as I'm thinking about these issues. Uh, So what I'm trying to suggest is that with psychological issues, I think we do need to access the appropriate help from the appropriate person recognising that there should be limits to people's professional input. That's why I said at the beginning of this little section, I'm speaking to you today as a psychologist. A few weeks ago, I wasn't speaking with that hat on, so to speak. Uh, So I really want to... I affirm people with with a shared care model. So if someone comes to see me in this category, I do not give them spiritual counsel specifically. I always want to encourage them to be accessing that from their church community. And I'll be encouraging them to go see their doctor if that's appropriate as well. Why do I say that? It's because God's made humans very kind of complex. And there's an old saying, and that's if all you have is a hammer, 
everything looks like a nail. And that's the issue of reductionism. Sometimes I see reductionism in all three of those spheres. Sometimes I hear, um, I'll start with psychologists, sometimes I hear psychologists saying, don't worry about medication, don't worry about this kind of spiritual stuff, it's all psychological, that's all you need to, everything's a, everything's a psychological nail, bang! <laughs> uh, no. no, we're more complicated than that I'd say. Sometimes I see physicians say it's all going to be solved with this physical remedy. Bang! <laughs> Sometimes I hear in my Christian communities us saying it's all spiritual. Bang! If all you have is a hammer, everything's going to be a nail. Well, I just think uh, humans are more complicated than that. And so I think we need to access appropriate uh, appropriate care for the appropriate issue. Wisdom is required in understanding where are the levels of interaction between those lenses. Um, and again, for me as a Christian um, and who is also a psychologist, uh, then, then that, that is sometimes helpful for seeing Christians because I understand their worldview. And I also understand God's word and how that can apply to them and I can help draw that out from them. So, so there's worldview issues. It's a little slippery because there are worldview issues and you can't help but your worldview follow through um, in relationships. But still, I would still uh, tote that line um, uh, that we need to access the appropriate help for the appropriate sphere or where the problem lies. So, just in summary, and then we'll move on to our, our questions, um, I just wanted to just share that mental health issues are really prevalent in our society across Australia. Um, almost one in two of us experience it, will experience it. It doesn't discriminate, and it does have quite an impact on numerous areas of our life, sometimes even our own spiritual lives, and even how we engage in Christian communities. Um, Frequently there's going to be interactions amongst those kind of three spheres and there's probably even more spheres but, um, but I think it's important to access the appropriate help um, for the appropriate, for the issue, for the, from the appropriate sphere uh, where, the, where the issue lies. Um, yeah. So. Oh, thank you. really serious now. Um, while we're just getting ourselves um, organised, can I just encourage you to stand up, have a good chat and then we'll sit back down and we'll get into our panel. It's hard to, it's hard, it's hard. <laughs> it's not for their board if they don't get upset. Good on you. Oh, good on you. Yeah, that's good to see you guys again. Yeah.
Thanks, everyone. There's some lollies going around. I like this. That's a good idea. If anyone needs any water, there's some along the side. There's even Coke. Um, if you're feeling a little dehydrated, feel free to rehydrate. Thank you. Okay, um, we're going to move into a time of um, an opportunity to ask questions. Um, we've got a panel of people along here, which I'll have introduced themselves in a minute. This is just a really great opportunity. Um, obviously, we've just heard a lot of information, which is really helpful. So a great opportunity to clarify any of that, um, but also a great opportunity to be able to ask, um, I guess, the spiritual questions um, that you can see that link to to this particular area as well. Um, all these people are up here because they have their own journey with mental health. Um, they're people up here who are, um, have their own experiences and stories to share. They're not experts, and they would—they're um, <laughs> not in their heads. Yes, they're—they're <laughs> um, they're not claiming to be experts, but they—they they do have their own experiences and stories. So. Um, Grant is the expert. <laughs> Anything technical, feel free to direct it to him. Um, but I guess before we begin, I might just get um, Rachel, Ken and Beth to just quickly intro who they are and what your mental health kind of journey, not the whole <laughs> but what, what that kind of has been for you in, a sh in short. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Rach. Um, hey. <laughs> So basically for me, um, which has only become fairly obvious recently, is I struggled with anxiety throughout a lot of my life where I haven't really acknowledged, well not acknowledged it, because my mum's a mental health nurse, um, but it just wasn't really evident because I just thought it was my normal. Um, but then as you know, life goes on and anxiety has gotten heavier it's been really noticeable um yeah so and i suppose before being a christian or walking with the lord um you know it was a different sort of experience um now as a christian because yeah i'm just like god you know what's going on so yeah that's been my sort of Thing, but yeah. Hey everyone, I think most of you know me, but my name is Cameron. Um, I think for me, uh, I guess that spectrum that uh, Grant was talking about was really helpful. Uh, I've probably been all over that spectrum. Uh, it runs in my family to have anxiety, so I, I kind of think that contributes in my situation. But um, I guess when I first started getting serious symptoms of this was after I actually experienced my blood clots and knee dislocation where I was in hospital and and that was about four years ago now, and I guess after that, for about a year, I had probably had really more on the serious end, where I was having symptoms every day and head pressure and all kinds of things, and, and now it's definitely still present and something that I battle with, but it's at a different point, um, but definitely something I'm still experiencing. Even today, sitting here hearing this, I get things coming up, and it's hard for me to actually get up here and speak about it, and so um, I think, uh, yeah, so it was definitely an ongoing battle, but... Yeah, it's a journey with God, so it's, mm. it's an exciting one all the same. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Beth. Um, hey Sarah. 
Um, I also, like Cam, have the genetic link. My mum has chronic anxiety and depression, and I've had anxiety for most of my life. I've also had um, episodes of depression as well. Um, so for me, I think as a Christian, it has definitely been difficult at times to understand what's going on. Um, but at the same time, I think I've also found a lot of hope um, in Jesus, and that's what keeps me going. Um, before I throw it over to you guys, I might just start with one question, and then I'm going to open it up to the floor. So maybe to save us um, passing the microphone like this, <laughs> if you're happy to just, just stand up and, and call out a question, um, that would be great. But just one thing, I guess, to get us started, um, is I'd just love to know some some practical things that have been really helpful um, for you guys um, in your own experiences of mental health, things um, maybe that people have done or that has been practical um, and helpful for you. So is there anyone who's able to start that um, So I suppose being really honest about it to church, pastors, um, people that are around me, that love me, um, that are praying for me actively, uh, when I feel like I can't do it for myself, which is, you know, feels heavy, like, you know, all the truths in the Bible and I can't feel like I can feel them or even speak them over my life. I mean, that's massive, um, but interceding from everyone else. Um, and if you try and do it by yourself, you know, the devil has got, uh, got you in a bad place, you know, because you need that. You need that support. So, yeah, I'd say that, um, as well as all of the, you know, the other things like walking, a good diet, um, yeah, lots lots of, you know, lots of things, yeah. Rachel, can I ask you, you yep. Yeah, well, to be very honest, I've actually not had anxiety for a long time and recently my walk with God has been massive walking with him um, really closely. And in the last three weeks, my anxiety has hit a very new high. Um, so to be honest, I'm really struggling at the minute, um, even to get here today. Um, but I do call my mum, I call my husband, I call Shabu, I call, yeah, lots of people in the church. Um, I'm seeking, yeah, all the, all the range of, GP, psychologist, you know, yeah. So, like, I'm trying to do everything to help myself and just trust in God, you know, in those moments of, you know, normalness. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Uh, I think for me one of the really practical things is I'm, I'm a person who likes to think through everything. Probably one of the reasons why I have anxiety is I, I like to internally process everything. And, and I think for me... Um, I think really constructing like a, a game plan. So if I have anxiety, um, uh, not being afraid to actually take necessary steps. Because I think what maybe if you're like me, you tend to want to fight through it yourself in your own thoughts and start thinking, okay, yeah. you know, what's the truth that I need to go through in my head? But sometimes that's not helpful. Sometimes you actually just need to <laughs> take practical steps. Sometimes you, when I notice thoughts going downhill, I get up, go do something else straight away. I need to just get my mind off it and that's really practical rather than going, okay, so why am I thinking this right now and how does God interact with this? And that's not always very helpful. And so other, other practical things for me is simply just having, um, I think, Bible, Bible reminders for me about who I am in Christ and, and, and talking to 
someone who knows how to actually get into my head, which I think is, it sounds quite simple, but um, uh, it's also, I think, it's easy to shy away from those things. So I think they're just a real couple simple things from my perspective. Yes. Um, yeah, I actually am. I because it was so bad that I was non-functional, and that's not okay when you're a mum. Um, so yeah, I am. Um, well, actually, it's in the process of it wasn't very helpful, so it's been upped, and then it's in the process of um, what's the word, mum? paradoxical so it's even heightened even more so then it makes me think oh is this medication working or is this going to be a constant state of mind am I going to be able to function and it's causing conflict in my family even Rach relax Rach get yourself together I want to yeah so I mean I'm I'm smack bang in the process right now which you know God's good like, you know, this situation, like this, I'm, this is raw, this is real for me. But I'm glad because I'm quite able to do that. Um, and I just think if that helps anyone, good. That's the spiritual side as well. Like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. It's heavy. But that's when, you know, I'm getting everyone to pray for me and, you know, trusting God and also an unbelieving husband that's going, why would God do this? And I'm going, he's faithful even in this. Playing hide and seek. <laughs> Some of us have psychological um, with genetic components, um, which I see now, but some of my children. 
So good, good gut bacteria kind of research. Yeah, pyrrhosis, yeah, something chemical within that's same chemicals. Yeah, I know with some people in the in that industry, like there's there's lots of talk about that being involved with lots of different things. No, I haven't seen any hard research myself. Tally. Grant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just, I was kind of confused as to what category it fits into, and because it was under the stress and trauma, so I didn't really get how it was meant to be Technically, it's in its own category, but I just wanted to put it somewhere, and and it is deeply distressing. And so that's why it got in the stress area because it, 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 it's this means of control, this means of stress reduction related. So that, that, that's why, that's why it's, it's a bucket. It's not, it's not a formal <laughs> category at all. Technically, um, eating disorders have their own category in the diagnostic manuals currently. Um, yeah. yeah. disorders aside, you could say that about lots of different areas. And I would say um, that uh, I think the, bi- the biblical worldview provides the greatest context for understanding self, self-identity and hope for the future than anything else. And so I think there's great I think there's great material and resource there in what God's communicated um, to give me a sense of my personal identity. I don't want to just uh, plug a book, but I will. (laughs) So this is a book called Known by God. It's just come out and it's called A Biblical Theology of Personal Identity and it is an excellent book for understanding one's identity Identity issues in our in our era today, related to um, who am I, my identity in Christ, 
um, when our identity is pushed and pulled by so many forces in our society. Um, and some of them are, some of them are good, um, but they're not ultimate. So how do I manage that then? Um, and so, so eating disorders aside, I'd say, I'd say that's certainly true, that, that God, has, um, uh, God has communicated um, about who we are in his grand narrative of his creation that he's moving it towards. And we have a role in that and we're called into that and what that means. So I think that's where I'd say um, uh, there's, there's spiritual dimensions around that kind of stuff. So I'm not just saying, oh, you know, be good to yourself. There's more to it than that. I, I'd say there's a story there to embrace. And there's a whole lot of stuff around. We already live out a narrative and with some issues particularly, um, we are living this negative narrative that we, that is pretty, that's pretty ingrained for many reasons. And sometimes um, part of my work um, personally in doing my own mental health is understanding what is that narrative I'm living out um, and, and does that match up with uh, God's word or God's, what God says is true of me and... Yeah, I guess for people on the panel as well, has there been particular passages or verses or things that have been helpful to you um, in your own journey? Beth, would you feel comfortable? Uh, for me, there's probably not... Actually, there is a particular verse that comes to mind. Um, I don't know what the reference is, um, but it is um, the verse that says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Um, when I was in year 11, which is when my anxiety really um, peaked at that time, uh, that was a verse that really got me through. I think more recently, just the Psalms in general, reading the Psalms um, and the way that God is described, um, he's our rock, he's our refuge. Um, that's just really encouraging, I think, when um, anxiety can often feel like a battlefield and you actually need somewhere safe to go to. So that's very encouraging for me. Uh, I think for me, rather than a specific verse, well, there is one that I'll talk about, but I think for me it's more the concept of knowing that the Bible is not, doesn't, it has a lot to say on suffering, and most of it is filled with suffering people. Uh, and so I think for me, uh, thinking of 2 Corinthians in, in chapter 12, where it talks about Paul's experience with the thorn in the flesh and, and finding out that God's grace is sufficient. And, you know, I, I have a lot of people, you know, a lot of thoughts in my head like, will God heal me of this? Will God let this keep going? And, and in a way, a lot of it is irrelevant questions because his grace is sufficient, um, regardless of which way that goes. Um, and, and even that real example of Paul who asked, who, you know, we all think of Paul as the Apostle Paul, planted all these churches, but asked God three times to, and pleaded with God to remove something from him that was hampering him and he's, and possibly in Paul's opinion, even his ministry, and yet God said no. Um, and so for me that's really helpful because 
it doesn't put my hope in this getting better. It puts my hope in God's grace. And I think that really changes my perspective uh, and how I look at my situation. Um, for me, I... Actually, I just wrote it down. So, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the ages. So, I sort of talked to Beth about this last night. But um, just picturing Jesus with me at every point of my life, even before I knew him, like before I was like, wow, God, your love, you know, just in the womb, in those dark, dark places. He was there, like, like what, a, what a picture, what a comfort, you know. Even if I don't feel him, and often we're like, oh, well, feelings, you know, we get really wrapped up in them, especially in anxiety. Um, but, yeah, just knowing, yeah, knowing that he's there. Um, and also, Psalm 23 you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I'm fearful in my anxiety, which is really truthful, um, he's with me. And I suppose in my good times and non-anxious times, I can hold on to that and it gives me strength to go through those times. Um, and also... Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book. So, you know, he's, he's got it covered and it's finished, you know. He's, he's done what needed to be done, you know. Like, that's, that's a, uh, a really calming, you know, thing for me. Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, Rod, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that, that's why labels are uh, originally, essentially, they were there for communication between professionals discussing an issue. So a GP might say, person X has diagnosis Y. Oh, um, but, so that, that's why labels, for some of us, they, they, they give us, they bring some relief because now I know something I can work on. Others of us, they are negative I experience them negatively because they can, um, because I think, well, that's it. I can't do anything now. Or, so th- th- you're right. There, there can be many, many, many area reasons. Um, I've, I've a quick go a bit of your question. I'd love to hear anyone else's thoughts as well. But I would say, I would say, it's about communication. So. I would, I would, I would ask the person. Um, that's really important. That communication, and families are really significant. If, 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 if I'm living with my family and I'm experiencing, I'm struggling with my mental health. Um, they are my greatest uh, treatment providers, because I might see a psychologist once a week or once a two, two weeks for an hour, <laughs> but. They're living with me every day. So if I can find out, if I would love to be, I want to help here. So I want to know what, what, how should I, I would say there's no blanket answers to your question apart from it's about trying to, trying to ask 
ask the person to ask their treatment provider or ask the treatment provider themselves. Hey, we want to we support what you're talking about. So what should I be doing this week to reinforce and apply what things you've been learning in that session last week? I would be looking for communication amongst as many people as possible together. Um, that, that is going to then help. And if you feel like you don't have that, I would then go back to... Um, I would just ask the person direct, hey, you know, we want to support you. What would be helpful? And if you disagree with what they say, I, I still think I need to buy some, we need to buy some shared trust and see what's the fruit that that produces. Another thing you could say would be, um, uh, let's work towards, um, uh, given all the uh, rubbish that you're experiencing in life, life is terrible, I know, but what still matters? What, what, what do you still want to be doing and how can we contribute together towards that? Is, so I'm looking for some, still some core values or core, what's still important and then how can we support towards that? So it might not be taking the rubbish out but it might be doing some uh, physical fitness or it might be maintaining relationships with friends or it might be getting some study done. I, I don't know. I'm looking then for what's, what's still valued that it's not all the negative stuff all the time that we can actually get on board and encourage each other proactively, positively. Again, that might buy some energy and some communication that could spread into, into those other directions. Mm. Yeah. Can I just say as well, like, <laughs> uh, educate yourself, like, because it's really, really crucial... When, like, say for my, like my husband, for instance, he's beautiful, he's so relaxed, he's so laid back, he has got no insight into what I'm going through. Yeah, well. And he is, and in that, it is not supportive. And, and bless him, because I understand, well, in my, you know, in my relaxed state, but in my not, it, it makes it worse. Relax, Rach. I want to relax. Just go to sleep. I want to sleep, babe. Educate yourself so you can help support rather than add on to. And I'm not saying he's not doing it. Like, he loves me. I know he loves me. But, you know, in that, like, you feel unworthy. You feel like you're already being a rubbish mum and a rubbish wife. And, and then for someone to say, get a hold of yourself or it just, digs it so much deeper and I think that for any anxiety, depression, bipolar, it, like, I think most people are trying to help themselves. And do you have any resources that, 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 that you know of or like any websites or anything like that? Um, for me. Or, or, or for these issues that, oh, that, you, that you know people could access? That well, like years ago when I, yeah, Beyond Blue, uh, yeah, well, I use an app, Smiling Mind, that's, like, helpful. But even years ago for Dan, I said to him, like, when I was having anxiety, when my mum was really sick, um, and he just didn't get it. He's like, I can't deal with it. Like I said, I need to tell you every thought I'm having because they're frightening me. And literally, it was like a car ride of, oh, I'm worried about this. And he's like, shut up. Shut up. I can't deal with this. And I was like... That's what I do every day. Yeah, and and I was like, um, 
Yeah, okay. But then when I got home, I was like, right, Google it. Anxiety. Um, fear of insanity. Fear of this, this feeling, this feeling, this feeling. And I said, Dan, can you have a look at this? This is exactly what I'm going through. This, these symptoms are exactly what I'm feeling. It is just anxiety, but it's real. And then he was like, and this is years ago, maybe I need to get it again for him. Um, but like, it was helpful in that time. And even for me, like when my mum was sick, I probably researched too much because I'm a bit of a psycho. Um, and that probably added to my anxiety. But um, like, it did help me. It helped me to understand and then best support her. So, yeah, I'd say that. I was going to add one other thing from my very limited experience of dealing with teenagers. But in terms of just dealing with, um, I guess, younger youth, I don't know if that's what the question was directed at or youth in general, is I think um, there's kind of a few different ways it can go in that I think the communication one is key, like I said, like um, Grant said, because I think often what happens, particularly with teenagers, and I've seen this with working with some of the kids in youth group, is that they, they may... Uh, communicate you uh, to you about depression and anxiety and these things and it's really easy from, from my and I've done this with kids is to overreact to the situation as well um, and that actually makes it worse because a lot of the time uh, to, so to treat it seriously but not to overreact in a sense of um, thinking like it's the end of the world or or even putting too much emphasis on it can be dangerous because oftentimes I think with teenagers Again, this is not from a professional, this is more from experiential uh, ex um, situations that they often grow out of it um, and uh, actually it, it tends to oftentimes improve. But that's not always the case, but I just had personal experience with over-exaggerating these kind of things is unhelpful because then, uh, yeah, they tend to play that and think that's their identity rather than actually uh, moving forward. So I think that's just something I wanted to add.
Right. I'm really aware of the time, so we might um, just have one more question. I've got Shibuti here from Julian. And then, if sorry, I'll just say, if you've got other burning questions, these guys are around, so um, feel free to, to catch them after. Yeah, Julian. Yes and no. <laughs> I, I, I think absolutely. I, I personally, I, I don't work with people under 18. And anyone who's under 18 or works with people under 18, I think you are amazing. Um, um, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Age of onset with lots of these things is around some of these later teenage years um, and early teenage years. So there is, there is certainly there's stuff going on there, yeah. Yep. So, uh, yes, yes, it is. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, so, can I just yeah. say, but if you have questions, yeah. that, like I said, with, in terms of the, the, um, the general tips, number one, bring it up. Yeah. Bring it up. Um, that's that, so, um, yes, it does. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I think that's something I've taken from today as well, that honesty is definitely important. And um, and I pray that we've got a Christian community that people feel that they can be open and that there's people who are available to listen and, um, and to support um, in these journeys. So thank you to everyone who's been on our panel. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just going to invite Shabu to come now. Um, Shabu's just going to, oh, take your choice. Or no chair. Yeah, cool. As Shabu passes those around, um, Shabu's just going to be wrapping up today, um, bringing things and the gospel front and centre. No pressure shots. Um, but um, we've really been on a journey this afternoon and, um, and Shabu's just here to wrap it up for us. So maybe Shabu, can I just pray for you before you go? Yeah, well, just as you pass those around. Lord God, thank you for Shabu. Thank you that he loves you. Let us pray, um, Lord, that your message and your truth and um, the truth of your gospel and your word would just speak um, and go out really clearly. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to frame all these things that we've heard uh, under what we know to be true about you. And I just pray that Shabu will be your mouthpiece to us. In your wonderful name, amen. Um, thanks. Look, as I was praying about this afternoon, um, one of the things I was saying to the Lord was, I just want to join in what you're already doing. Um, so Grant talked about a holistic view of um, uh, this journey, and this is part of the holistic view. Um, we at Canary Gardens value um, professionals who are better than us on the professional stuff that Grant talked about. Um, from a spiritual aspect, our desire is to come from a pastoral 
journey. So this is why I'm here, to come from a pastoral perspective. Um, But I hope it resonates already with what God's been saying. Uh, And I hope you hear that um, as we look at a particular psalm. You would have got a piece of paper, and we're just going to be um, looking at a particular psalm, Psalm 62. not going to be talking for too long, uh, just from verses 5 to 8. Um, now, as you look at this psalm, I'm just going to read it to us. If you're, if you're someone who's sort of come along and uh, maybe church stuff is a bit weird and you're trying to figure out how this all fits in, uh, just go along with us at the moment. Uh, we believe in the Bible, believe that we have a God who uh, hears you and knows you and that you actually have a purpose for being here even this afternoon. I'm not, I'm not sure if you realise that. And um, this is why we're opening the Bible. We want God to speak to you. So we're just going to look at Psalm 62. Uh, Verses 5 to 8. Here is God's word. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us and you would meet us where we are uh, this afternoon. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Friends, um, just simply what I want to focus on is two things. One, remembering who God is and two, pouring out your heart to him. Uh, In the midst of whatever struggle that you might be in right now, as Grant has been sharing, maybe you are right in the midst of it. Uh, whatever is going on in your life, you feel like it's in the darkest of darks. Maybe you're seeing a loved one going through this yourself and you're like, how can I help them? How can I come alongside them? I hope what Grant's shared and others have shared from their own journey has been helpful. It's been a deep challenge for me in my own journey in different ways and differences in my own life. Um, Grant doesn't realise this. We, I met Grant at Campus Crusade. We were on staff together. A few years later, he was speaking at a church planning seminar and he just finished his doctorate um, stuff. And I was right in the cusp of burnout. And guess what his thing was on? Burnout in ministry. And uh, he sent me this really helpful paper. Uh, it was really helpful for me to ponder and consider my own journey. But along with that, that's some practical stuff. There was also this reality that in that moment, I felt like, is God really there? There was these silly questions. I'm a pastor, I should know this. And then I was reminded very clearly that God is. One of the things I love about the Psalms, do you know most of it is laments? That's just crying out to God. There are even Psalms in there that say, don't even necessarily have an answer at the end of it. This is why I love God's Word. It's so raw and real. And in this, what David's very clearly simply doing is he wants to paint a picture. Firstly, he wants to show very clearly who God is. He makes a statement of God. It's God alone. It's God alone that he waits for in verse 5. From God alone is coming hope, in verse 5. It is in God that he can rest in salvation because he knows that God is the one who is his refuge and strength. And there's this wonderful statement that David makes later in verse 8. He says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It's really comforting words from David as he's expressing his own heart from his own heart, then to the people that he is explaining this to. 
And brother in David's life throughout his journey, it's very clear that he's understanding in his life and throughout the Psalms you see this over and over again that God is the one who brings hope for him. God is the one who brings stability. That God is his rock and refuge and fortress. These are like wonderful, comforting words. And he's also calling the people around him as a king, most probably pour out their hearts. Really powerful emotional language. Because he knows who God is, that God is his refuge. I hope and pray that these words, as you hear it, whatever season you're in, or if you're seeing someone in this season, they're comforting words. It might be the darkest season of your life, or you're seeing someone you love so deeply. Go through this. These words are a reminder that you have a God, a creator of the universe, who totally understands. And not only that, there are people who have gone before you who totally understand including the poster boy for a lot of Old Testament stuff, King David. He clearly understands. There are others who have gone before you. You, More intimately, there's a God who deeply knows you so wonderfully. Rachel talked about this earlier. There's a God who cares for her and intimately knows her. In verses 5 to 7, I think it's kind of like, um, I couldn't figure out what the word is, so maybe you can help me here. Do you know that little thing... This is my technical term. <coughs> the technical term, where they put it and they fly it up in the air, it gives you aerial view. Thank you, a drone. <sighs> I'm sitting there for ages going, what is this thing? I was trying to Google, I didn't have time. Um, but if you can imagine what David is doing, is he's in his circumstances and he's jumped into a drone and he's zoning out in his circumstance. He's flying up in the air in his circumstance, he's kind of blowing it up and going, no. This is what's happening. Right now it's in front of him, but he's kind of giving an aerial view. In some sense, I wonder if he's kind of trying to drown out the noise that might be going on around him. It's like he's preaching to himself. Preaching to himself some statements. If you can just imagine, he might be in his bedroom, I don't know, wherever he is, saying, Shh, soul. Shh. Wait for God alone. Shh, soul. Shh. Listen. Remember who gives hope. Friends, no matter whatever season you're in or you're watching someone go through this dark time, these words are a reminder there is a, save, a God who cares for you and is waiting and wanting you to run to him because he's the one who gives hope. He's deeply the one who gives hope. But in knowing who where hope comes from, it's also us to understand we have a God we need to know. And this is what David unpacks, right? David goes through all the psalm and in this whole psalm you see it over and over again. And particularly in this section he says, God is his protector. God is his deliverer. God is his refuge. These are powerful words, he shall not be shaken. And sometimes you read the psalms and you kind of think he has been shaken. So this is not like fake Christianity stuff. I don't know if you've seen that. No, just cheer up, brother. It's okay. It's all right. God is with you. True, but sometimes they're shaken. What David's doing in this moment is he's saying he shall not be shaken as he's focusing on the truth in that challenging time. And he repeats himself. And whenever the Bible repeats something, it's trying to make a point because he knows God is his hope. God is the one who has actually rescued him. In the life of David, you see that over and over again. God has been the one who has provided protection and rescue both physically and even spiritually and has given him deep rest and honour. Because David is talking about how God being his rock, his shelter, that he finds refuge, 
and rescue in. So right in the circumstance, David's really unpacking and focusing on who God is. That is, his, that God is his hope. That God alone is his hope. Friends, I want you to know that you have a creator of the universe who intimately knows you will always and continually be your hope. Because of who he is. Simply because of who he is. And David's call to the people that he's writing to and calling to his people is to trust in him at all times. It's a totality kind of language. Back in the 90s, there was a term called to the max. You probably don't say that anymore. What was that? Sorry? Oops. Okay, I'll just keep going. Okay. Um, But note what he says, what it means to trust in the Lord in totality. It's not just kind of grit your teeth, uh, suck it up kind kind of stuff. Pour out your heart. It's intimate relationship kind of language. It's a relational language. Pour out your heart before him. It's like... The language actually goes much deeper. It's to say, spill your guts, let it all out before him. Why? Because of who he is. He's a shelter. This is our God. You can actually spill your guts to him anytime, everywhere, wherever you are. He wants to be there. He wants to be your shelter. Many say the psalm was written when David had actual physical people wanting to kill him and he's writing this in response. But I think most of the time as a pastor and most of our pastoral team when we talk to people, this is what it feels like. This is constant, relentless enemy after them, yelling at them, pulling them down. It's constant, relentless. And this is why these words are written, I think, God is so good in that writing these words to comfort you and I in hope. I remember verse 6. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. As we were talking about that big narrative, the Bible story, the God of the universe pursuing people who rejected his loving authority uh, to display that beautifully over and over again. He's pursuing, 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 pursuing because he loves and cares for them. In the deepest of darkness, he's there. And much later, a descendant would come of David's family, a great saviour in Jesus Christ. And this side of the empty tomb and the cross, this is the reality. That in the midst of our challenges and mental health issues or watching people going through this, for those of us who know Jesus, there is deep hope that Jesus has become our rock and our salvation. And to know that he has actually given you eternal rest of all rests, to promise you that he'll never leave you, never forsake you. That is the truth, to trust him. The one who is your refuge, the one you can find shelter in, the one from heaven who left his most safe shelter to come into this world to be ridiculed, rebuked on your behalf and my behalf so that we can know him, that we do have eternal hope. And friends, if you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, we want to welcome you in the Canterbury Gardens community. We want you to ask those questions. If you have not heard, uh, if you haven't already heard today, following Jesus doesn't mean everything will go perfectly well. But there is a Saviour who's with you and wants a journey with you. So, you might be in the midst of that. 
Uh, as a church community, we want you to know we're here with you. One of the reasons why we did this this afternoon is to say we want to talk about this. We want to make normal to talk about this, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. We want to encourage you to keep crying out to him. And if you're struggling and you've had enough of crying out to him, we want to kneel with you and cry out with, to him with you. And remember, this is the Saviour who himself understands sorrow. In Isaiah 53, it talks a man of sorrow is acquainted with grief. He deeply understands sorrow and grief. And remember, you're part to be in a community. I know in our Western context where everything is individual, this is my personal thing, I just hang on to it. There are people around you you may trust. We want you to talk to one another, pray for each other. In the Christian community, it's actually everyone's involved in encouraging and spurring each other on. This is what it talks about, that whole idea of a team around you. Can I also encourage you, if in the moment God deeply cares for you, Grant talked about the body and flesh and the soul and spirit and cognition and that whole thing, I want you to know that Christ is involved in all those things, intimately. It's not separate. And if you have someone who's walking in this journey with you, sometimes it's simple as sitting down with them, praying with them, asking them the questions, maybe sitting down and reading a psalm with them if they're finding it hard themselves. David writes to a community, not just individually. And that's a reminder to you and I as well. Just some things from a pastoral perspective that um, personally myself and some others have been walking in journey with people in our church family. A um, couple of things is that we often, when we sit down with someone, um, Grant said, you know, the, the categories of um, talking about whether if you have this disorder, that disorder, sometimes it's really helpful. You've got something to put a thing on. But when Christ sees you, if you belong to him, how does he see you? Does he see you through that label? He sees you as his child that he's purchased with his precious blood. And so labels are helpful in the sense maybe gives you a bit of a grid, but that's not how Christ sees you. So from a pastor's perspective, when I talked to someone uh, recently, um, she's been journeying for quite a few years with an eating disorder, and she was talking about, this is who I am. No, you're not. This has been helpful to talk about your battle and what things need to happen to help you and get a grid around you and support. So we never tell them, no, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, go to a GP, go to a counsellor, go to a psychologist, go do all those things. From a pastoral perspective, I want you to know this is how I see you because you belong to Christ. So that's something practical maybe to consider as you maybe walk along with people to encourage them in that. Um, it's, it's interesting, Grant actually... Um, plug this book um, I have the great privilege to both know this gentleman uh, in a committee I'm, I'm part of but also he is uh, someone who's impacted me personally as well uh, as a friend Brian Rosner is the principal of Ridley College he's actually going to be here on the 5th of November to preach at our 10.30 service but straight after that we're going to have a seminar based on this book so if you want to put that in your diaries it'd be a good thing to do on the 5th of November we didn't plan this to be no, yeah. <laughs> I hope he gives us a commission. We should talk, we should talk to him about that. Um, and um, finally, if you're, if you're in, the, in the season of this journey right now, um, can I encourage you, please, text any of the pastors, any of the leaders, text one another. We want to pray for you, we want to encourage you, we want to walk with you. 
Um, there are many in our church family that we walk through different issues, but predominantly we want to be a community that is there to have these discussions. On that note, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for who you are. I thank you that you, our great Saviour, understands grief. You understand sorrow. And that you can meet with us intimately wherever we are. We thank you that you created our bodies the way that we did, that you did. We thank you that you provided health professionals and other things to help us, whatever season we are in. But we also thank you that you are at work deeper in us to make us more like you, that you've begun a good work in us and that you will complete it. For those of us in seasons of darkness and trial right now, would you comfort us through your spirit, through your word, and even through this community here? For those of us who we have loved ones that we've been journeying with, give us courage, give us encouragement, and give us grace to keep on ministering to our friends who might be right in the midst of it. And pray for us as a church that we will continue to make the norm to talk about these things, to pray about these things, to encourage one another, so that Christ is magnified. In Jesus' name, Amen.